morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, we're trying to answer any automotive questions you may have. Give us a call, 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Hey, go sure wish you would. Just give us a call. We're we'll glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Talking about all this weather and all right. we had come through last night, and I was driving in from New Orleans last night, and... It was raining pretty good, sure. And I was really, really happy that I had a nice, fresh set of wiper blades, wiper blades yeah. on my car. You know? <laughs> Makes and a big difference. That's one of those things that I've always been—I don't know—probably hypersensitive to. I like good, nice wiper blades on my car, and I generally change mine out fairly regularly, sure, before they get bad. But how many cars come in the shop all the time? Yeah, and it's like trying to wipe the windshield with a piece of wax paper or something. Right. The streaking, yeah, yeah, they and, don't move the water. They leave streaks, and you know, half the time the windshield's cracked and it's mm-hmm. eating up the actually eating up the blades. Well, that is one big, big problem with wiper blades. I mean, they they're made out of rubber and they don't really last forever anyway. I guess average life maybe a year or two on set of blades, and the effective life is probably less than that. Yeah, because they start diminishing pretty greatly. I find about once a year they start really falling off pretty quick. Mm-hmm. After they start to get into streaking and all that kind of stuff. But it's one of those things that a lot of people just don't think about. Well, because it doesn't rains. rain every day. Yeah, not When it's it raining, rains. then, of course, you're not close <laughs> to a place where you can get them or, or change them out. But that's one thing we talk about maintenance on the show a lot. But that's one of those items that kind of really... They get overlooked a lot until you need them. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different types of connections now. There are. How the blade actually connects to the arm. There used to be the old... Well, uh, there click was, and release, and like it was two. it. There was yeah. two at most. You had one with a pin on it one with a clip on it, and that was it. That pretty much fit everything. I know we stocked at one time probably about 10 sets of wiper blades, and right. we had nearly and, and, nearly 100% coverage. We did. Man, today we've got a wall full of wiper blades. And still got to order them all the time right. because you don't have the right one. Different kind of clips, different kind of configurations. Different this lengths. Special this, special that. I've always really wondered. What, yeah. the, what the how, rationale how, <laughs> is behind all that. It's got to cost everybody a lot more money. Sure. I know it costs us a lot more money to have to have, have to them there all for that. people. And it's got to cost more money on every level. Sure. And that's just getting to be a more and more prolific thing. Even light bulbs. At one time, you had a single base light bulb. Right. Light bulb burned out. Yeah. You might want. You went to the store and got a light bulb. You might want a 60 watt. You might want a 90 watt. Yeah. 75, whatever. That was about the biggest choice you had because you knew they're all going to fit. Right. And now there's like 10,000 different kind of light bulbs. Exactly. you got to take the old one with you to make sure you get the right one. And try to match it up. And, of course, as a result, they cost 20 bucks a piece. used to be like a box of four of them was 50 cents. (laughs) (laughs) They last for several years, you know, and it was no big deal. You just unscrew the bulb, screw a new one in and keep going. And, I mean, I'm all over the the LEDs. I know they burn a lot less energy. They don't heat the house up and all. But, man, can't we just standardize this? I know. One base. I, I mean, I, I know they got different shapes and different sizes, and that's great, but maybe one base. Right. Plug them all in the same way. It's what all fit the same side. <laughs> We're talking about windshield wipers. They don't give a tremendous amount of problems, but they do occasionally. They do. Go out, and I notice it's one of those things that gets misdiagnosed a lot. One of the big issues that we see, people come in, well, it's generally one of two things. Either they turn them on, they won't come on. Okay. Clearly. Or they turn them off and, and they won't, won't go turn off. off. <laughs> <laughs> that 
that's the two biggest things yeah. we see. General Motors had a horrible problem with that back in the mid eighties, yeah. mid nineties, somewhere mm-hmm. in that area. They had a faulty circuit board in right, them, and you would turn them off, and they would just keep going. And then every once in a while, they just quit. Well, you would have them off, and you were driving down the road on a nice sunny day, and they would sweep across the yeah the, the windshield. That or worse yet, it's raining, and you turn them on, they swipe two or three times and stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a little circuit board. They did update it, and right. you could get it, and it's pretty easy to change out. But, yeah, it's one of those things when they don't work at all. You know, a lot of people assume, well, it's the motor or right. whatever. But you've got to do a little more checking. Sure. Because you've got a switch, and there's generally some kind of a relay or circuit board or whatever. So the first thing you have to do is make sure you're getting power to, to the, the wiper assembly at the motor. If I got power at the motor and it's not working, then I'm pretty sure it is the motor. Some of those motors are easy to get to mm-hmm. on certain models, and some of them you have to take three-quarters of the car apart just to get to the motor. Mm-hmm. So checking, you, you're going to have to find a, a better place to check if unless you have to take, willing to take the whole well, cowling apart. Many times to you do have to it. take that cowl assembly off. It's plastic. Yeah, and it may break and all that. But it's not really a terrible idea to get down in there once in a while. I know on the, like the Crown Vic and the Grand Marquis and uh-huh. Lincoln Town Car, they had a lot of trouble. The windshield wipers would just quit working. The motor was burned up. Right. And people would normally go get another motor put on, and six months later the motor would burn up again. And what they did not realize is that all the leaves and debris would hit the windshield, run down, get through that little grill at the bottom, plug up the vents, the, the, drain. the drains. Right. And so when you get a good hard rain, it would fill that cowl area up, and the wiper was under motor. Excuse underwater. me, the motor was underwater. Right. So that's why the motor went out. Now, when you finally got around to fixing it, it was a dry day. Sure. The water no had eventually got on out of there. You don't look and see whether those are clear or not you just put another motor on and it burns right back up again yeah if you submerge that motor underwater it's not gonna last too too long no it's not designed to be submerged yeah i so, mean it's it's i see it's weather resistant no, not weatherproof well it's mounted on rain the outside proof. of the car and a certain amount of rain may hit water it gets in it but yeah. it's in a protected area and it's not supposed to be filled with water and put it's not a submarine it's right. not designed to go underwater so that was one of the big things so i guess first off when your wipers go out and you check it, and you've got power and ground and signal to the motor. Before you just replace the motor, stop and think, why did this motor burn up? Sure. Is there something more here that I'm overlooking? And that is an excellent time because you've already got a lot of the car apart right. at that point. That's a good time to blow through those drains and make sure they're draining. Some of, some or of get a garden hose and put it in there and make sure the water's running out. Right. Some of that's easy to get to. Some of it actually drains out of the cowling and then down behind the fender and out on the ground. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that fender will back up and yeah. you can't see it. Yeah. So by putting the water into cowling and watching how it runs out, we'll let you know if that drain is stopped up further down. Before you just go and replace sure, it. Sure, before you put another motor in it. Now, clearly if you don't have power and ground to the motor, then you got a different issue. That's when you start checking fuses and mm-hmm. relays and wires and all those kinds of things. But another thing that happens, a lot of people will – turn their wipers on. A lot of wipers will just come on when the windshield is dry. Right. And that's one thing. You're not supposed to, Those wipers are designed to wipe a wet windshield. They're not designed to wipe a dry windshield. Number one, it's bad to do that because it can scratch the windshield because you got dust and dirt and you're dragging a blade across. Not to mention all that dust and debris gets drove into that rubber blade. That's right. Which makes it start streaking. Well, not only that, but the 
forced to move dry wipers. If you try to move those blades on a dry windshield, it's pretty significant. And that is definitely going to overload the motor, the wiper motor. Yeah. Now, for our friends up north where it snows and all that a lot, another thing is wipers are not designed to clear snow off the windshield. No, they're not. Or ice. Or ice. And, and if, you, if your wiper blades freeze down, you turn the motor on, they can't move. That right. motor is not going to last a long, long time. Right. And we all got a taste of that back last month when that big freeze came through. Right. Everything that was outside froze. Mm-hmm. And all my vehicles were sitting out from under protection. Mm-hmm. All of them had frozen windshield wiper. Yeah. You know, everything was froze to the windshield. So, Which is a problem because now how do you thaw this out? If you take a big pot of hot water and throw it on there. Well, you know what's going to happen to the glass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you got a smallest little crack in that glass, it's going to run all over the place. Sure. So that's probably not the best way. And you can scrape the ice off. But, again, that point. takes a long time and can scratch the windshield and do damage. So. I don't know if there's a better way. I, I mean, I'm very, very fortunate in that I've got a garage. Sure. So my cars are inside the garage, and they don't have that problem. But I guess a better way might be to put your windshield defrosters on and let it blow that hot air up on the windshield. That helps. I've also heard Windex has the ammonia in it will melt the ice really? faster than, than the heat from the inside. So yeah. hmm. maybe that's an idea. That I may, haven't maybe. tried it yet. Yeah. By the time I figured out what was going on, everything was gone, so... Yeah. I didn't get a chance to try that little theory out. Yeah. We're going to take our first quick little break and be right back with more of the Automotive Hour. If you ever plan to motor well. Man, you have a personal trainer, right? Yes, I've got the guy, Mr. Miyago. <laughs> He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger, hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, bro. Extreme results. Everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for the right automotive guy, it's Agco Automotive. We make it easy. Quality repairs and a staff you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road. You will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese. I think I'm just going to hit the gym, TJ, but thanks. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tune Tools, try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us calls, 291-6901. And we're just talking about things in general, and we're talking about windshield wipers and some of the problems they give and what have you. Of course, take a call on any topic you might have. That we will. Never limit it to whatever we may be jabbering about at any given moment. <laughs> The second biggest problem, like we mentioned, you got the issue where the wipers won't come on when you turn them on. Right. But then there's the issue of the wipers won't go off when you turn them off. Now, most people rationalize, okay, I turned the switch off. They didn't go off. The switch must be bad, and it's just not turning off because power's got to still be getting to these wipers. Uh Uh-huh. And that is a logical assumption, except that it's wrong <laughs> 99.95% of the time. Exactly. And most time when they come in with that problem, they got a new wiper switch in there, and then somebody's angry because uh-huh. they spent a whole lot of money for the wiper switch, and they've gone through all the trouble of hooking it. Some of those are not easy to. They are not. Some of them take a disassembly of the steering, steering column. column and all that. Yeah. But you got to remember, windshield wipers have a feature called a park feature. Correct. And you don't think about this all the time. But 
if you're using your wipers and you turn the wipers off, the switch is now off. But what happens to those wipers? They still return to the park position. And that's key when you're trying to logically figure out what's going on. you got to put that one little piece of logic in there. These wipers can run with the switch off. They can. Because there's the, the park feature used to be a mechanical cam that would turn, and if it wasn't all the way down, it would operate a switch which bypassed the switch inside the vehicle. Right, and it would roll to the cam and roll, automatically When park. the cam came all the way down, then it would cut the wipers off in the parked position. Nowadays, it's done more electronically with circuit boards and all that kind of stuff. But the point is... If the wipers are up when you switch them off, they are going to maintain power until they come all the way down. Correct. So most of the time when they won't turn off, it's not going to be the switch is maintaining power to them. Because the switch, when it goes off, it just sends a signal and says, okay, I'm requesting off. That little circuit board inside the wiper motor is generally going to be the problem. And what it's doing is trying to park the wipers, but it doesn't see park position. So it just keeps going and going and going mm-hmm. back and forth, trying to get to park position. And way, way, way more often, that's the problem. And most time, you can't buy just that little board or just that little whatever it is because you, the, the unit's generally sealed. So you're going to find more times than not when you got the problem that you turn the wipers off and they keep running. It's not going to be the switch. It's going to be the wiper motor mm-hmm. itself. That was the problem with the GM motors back in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. It actually had an accessible circuit board that you could unplug out of the right. original motor, plugging the new updated board into it, and everything would start working because one of the SCRs went out on the right on the board. On the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know we still see that a, a fair amount. And like I said, inevitably somebody wants to change the switch or they'll sure. bring how much is to change the switch. You know, and it sounds reasonable. It's like anything that you try to reasonably figure out. You got to have enough information. You got to know how it operates before you can start diagnosing it. Because cars are not logical. Not anymore. Not at all. They are they follow the logic of the person who programmed them. And if you don't understand what all was programmed in or how it all operates, then you just can't logically figure out how it's working. Exactly. It's sort of like when you get a catalytic converter code saying converter below efficiency, that doesn't mean the converter's bad. You have to, it may, you may say, okay, well, it says converter below efficiency. It must be the converter. Let's change the converter out. But you may do that and still have the same code when you're through. Sure. And you just spend a whole lot of money in the meantime because it follows the logic of the guy who programmed it. Now, what it actually means is that the downstream oxygen sensor is seeing too much oxygen remaining in the exhaust relative to the upstream oxygen sensor. So a number of things can happen. For instance, it wants to see a fair amount of oxygen remaining in the exhaust upstream, but it wants to see almost none downstream Correct, because the converter's burned up the difference. But let's say you've got an exhaust leak. Let's say you've got an exhaust manifold or something or a pipe that's loose or a seal that's gone bad. Oxygen can leak in, get to the downstream sensor, so therefore it may throw, it's not going to say, okay, there's a leak in the exhaust. It's not that sophisticated. It just doesn't know. All it knows is too much oxygen is remaining downstream. And the way that the code is written, this is, this is. Throw out a PO430. Right. Yeah. Oxygen sensor below, or or cat below efficiency. efficiency. Now, another thing that can happen, because the way it's oxygen exhaust looks is that thing is sweeping back and forth between the midpoint. 
the more oxygen and exhaust, the more it's going to sweep back and forth. The less, the less it's going to sweep back and forth. So it's comparing the upstream sensor to the downstream sensor. And if they're both moving the same amount, it's going to figure the converter must be bad. But let's just say the sensor upstream is weak and it's barely moving. It's going to compare that to the downstream. It's okay. They're both barely moving. It doesn't say, okay, they're both wrong. It's just going to say they're doing the same thing. It so, may throw a code for right. a catalytic converter by it. Correct. And this is just the reasons you can't just go and try to figure this out unless throw, you throw understand how it all operates. Another thing can be if you've got a misfire or a injector dribbling fuel down. Well, all it knows is too much fuel is reaching the downstream sensor. Right. It doesn't know how it's getting there. It just knows it's too much. Yeah. So it can very easily lead you the wrong way. Same exact thing with the windshield wiper. All you know is the wiper motor is still running. You got the switch off. The switch must be bad. Right. Except that it's not. And more and more, you're going to go wrong with that kind of logic because the way switches generally work, there's very, very few analog switches on a car any longer. Right. It's all digital it's a sensor. It's right. not really a switch. It may look like a switch. It may look just like the old switches used to have, but it's not. Instead, what it's doing is sending a signal to some type of a module, which is deciding what to do. For instance, when you turn your air conditioner on, you reach down and you flip the little button to on. You might think you just turned it on, but you didn't. And what may happen is the compressor may not engage. So you say, okay, well, the switch must be bad. I hit the switch. Compressor didn't come on. But what it's doing, that switch is sending a request for air conditioning to the body module. First thing it's going to do is go out and it's going to look at the ambient temperature. It's going to say, okay, it's 40 degrees outside. You don't need air conditioning. We don't need air conditioning. We're not going to turn it on because we do. It may sludge because the oil in the system is too thick right now. Sure. So it totally ignores your request. Second thing it does, it looks at the engine temperature. It says, okay, the engine's overheating. We're not going to turn the air conditioning on because that's more load on the engine and on the cooling system. So it's just going to totally ignore you. Mm -hmm. Now, the point is, you may say, well, my engine's not overheating. It's not cold outside. That doesn't matter. It's if what it the computer thinks sees. it's cold outside sure. or if it thinks the engine is overheating, it's not going to allow the AC to come on. Sure. Any of those sensors that are not reading in the correct range will mm -hmm. will cause problems. Yeah, let's say you've got a ambient temperature sensor that's reading off range. It's 85, 90 degrees outside, but it's reading 40 degrees. To that computer, it's 40 degrees. Right. It can't stick its toe out the door and measure the temperature. <laughs> it doesn't have sensors. It just has sensors. And what it does from there is it uses that information to decide what else to do. That's right. So if it thinks it's 40 degrees outside, it may double pulse the injectors. That's right. The fuel mileage may drop off. May drop completely off. And it's not because something is wrong. It's because it's getting wrong information. It thinks something's wrong. Right. And... Again, going back to our example, if it thinks the engine's overheating, well, it's not going to allow the AC to come on. Right. Because it may also start shutting the cylinders down one at a time, pumping air through the engine to try to cool itself down. Mm -hmm. So you Very may possible. start to get a rough idle or a misfire. Another thing, if you come to an idle and your car starts warming up, and you may say, okay, well, that might mean that the fan motor is not coming on, so my condenser's overheating and shutting down. Well, it might be. Uh-huh. But now it could also be, if the idle is going too low because you replaced your battery, it lost its idle function, your throttle body is dirty, so it can't bring that blade all the way down. Right. Now it's having a hard time relearning idle. If it's idling too low, it's going to disable the AC because it doesn't want the engine to die. Mm -hmm. 
So I know we used to see that a lot on Chevy pickup trucks. We did. And they come in, the guy says, you know, something's wrong with my air conditioner. It heats up when I come and when I start going down the road, it works better. And what you do, you start looking and you would see it was idling down around 450, 480, below 500 RPM. Which is way too low. Yeah, way too low. So it's disabling the air conditioning compressor because it doesn't want the engine to die. So it, it's basically ignoring you. Yeah. So you can yeah. go and start changing parts forever. And you'll never come across yeah. it. And the solution was as simple as cleaning the throttle body and relearning idle. Let's go to our phone. I was got John online. Good morning, John. Hi, it's John from Toronto. Hey, John, how good you morning. doing? Good. How are you, fellas? Man, good. doing great. That's good. Well, the weather's in prison. I talked to you recently. Oh, good. We're up to seventy-three today. Oh, very oh, well. nice. Very nice. I'm sitting out in my front yard. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you on the uh, wiper blade the mechanic I have. He said that there's a brand that uh, I won't mention the name, but mm-hmm. they start with B and. He said that they've changed their formula, and he said that they used to last a long time. Now people are coming back in months and saying that the, the rubber isn't it doesn't last. I was yeah. wondering if you had recommendations as to what brands you think are worthwhile. You know, John, I don't see where any of them really hold up like they should. We use the Anco brand just because they're widely available. We've had decent luck with them, but... In my opinion, they don't hold up. You buy a brand-new car, and I get it. Everything's brand-new. The windshield's new. The wiper's mm-hmm. new. They seem to last a long, long time. But when you change them, they never last that long again. Even if you go back to the dealer and buy them new, the OEM yeah. part, it just doesn't ever seem to hold up just the same. So my, With my with my Honda, I've been uh, I, I've bought Honda blades for mm-hmm. a few years, and they um, – they seem to hold up after maybe they're actually making them to the same spec as the OE. Maybe they do. I just find yeah. that my original blades generally last three or four years, yeah. it seems like yeah. to me, and still work real well. And when I change the first set, I'm going to get a year, maybe a year and a half out of them. And they just I've never found any of them. I was talking to a customer of mine who is a big wig at Copolymer who makes the rubber for a lot of these guys. And I said, why can't you all make a rubber? He said, we can make a rubber that'll hold up. He said, they won't buy it. He says, we make this rubber offered to them, and, and they, they, they want the cheapest rubber they can get, and then they add extenders to it to make it go further. Planned obsolescence. Yeah, don't have at, at least that was his explanation for it. But, I think they're right. Yeah, I've tried all kinds of different brands. I've tried some of the really expensive ones. I've tried some of the cheaper ones, and I don't see where any of them hold up a lot better than the others. More and more, we are having to go back to the OEM to get blades just because they got so many different kinds. A lot of times, the aftermarket won't fit anymore especially when a new car model comes out with a new blade it's a couple of years before the aftermarket even catches on to it but a lot of the blades now you'll see they got the word oe after the part Uh number and that's an original equipment fit it's designed specifically for a certain car but yeah i I wish i really could find one i've tried some that cost a whole lot and they just didn't seem to hold up that much better than the the regular moderate prices now i guess there are some real cheap ones too and i know the blade he's talking about and i have to agree they don't hold up at all that's kind of a Mass merchandise they were blade. Before, he yeah. said, and all of a sudden they've crashed. So well, we see that a lot. On the cheap route, well, you know? companies change hands. They change philosophies. You know, they get a name for themselves, and that'll sell the product, and they know it. So if they can cut the cost and still get the same price, they're going to make a whole lot of money short term. It's like the number one shock absorber yeah. uh, company in the world. That's right. They've done the same thing, right? Well, you, you get one of these CEOs who gets a new job. Well, first thing he has to do, he has to get the profits up because the board of directors watching him, and whether he's going to keep his job or not depends on what he does with profits. So first thing he's going to do is start cutting costs because he can do that instantly. You can't increase your market share instantly. 
you know, there's a lot of things you can't do immediately, but you can cut costs instantly. And so they do that to get the market share up, and that way they look like they're doing a good job. All right, Mr. John. Well, I appreciate you calling, sir. Nice, nice talking to you. I see your weather's even warmer now. It's yeah, we're, yeah, we're hitting the 80s now. So. I saw that. I looked down before I called you. A little too warm. <laughs> Thanks for calling, man. All right. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Take our second quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair. Deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And with ACO's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision, too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at ACO Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tween Tools, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. And we're just kind of talking about things in general today. But any topic you may have on your mind, just give us a call. We'll try to help you out. Yeah, we will. We're here for a little while longer. A little live. bit longer. I've got enough time to answer a few more questions. There you go. Sure. <laughs> and, you know, what I've noticed a lot in the automotive business, particularly in the repair side of it, is that it seems like the simplest things are the things you would think would be very, very, very simple mm-hmm. are the things that people tend to do wrong, even shops. I've noticed when we first started really working hard to try to improve things in the industry and make our own work better, it's the simple things that businesses seem to get wrong. All right. You know, something like balancing a tire. Seems simple. You would think anybody in the world, I mean, millions of tires a year get around it and get balanced, and you would think that would be just falling down simple. It's a machine that does 90% of the work. Could do it. Yeah, even a caveman. There you go. (laughs) Could do this. But But it's not that simple. It really isn't. You've got to understand, like we talked about before, the logic and the philosophy behind here. What is it that we're doing? And you were saying how often vehicle will come in for something, and you look at the wheel, and he's got three or four weights on the outside of the wheel or the inside of the wheel or both. It's still happening today. Across from each other. Right. When you put a tire on the machine to balance it, it spins that tire, and it decides, hey, you need this much weight in this position. Right. Well, if that weight is not correct, or if it is the wrong weight, or if it's cut wrong, or if it's even put in the wrong position by a couple millimeters. Mm-hmm. When you spin that wheel again, the machine's going to say, wait a minute. I still need, this much, I still need this much weight, but I need it over here now. Right. So a lot of times the guy running the machine doesn't understand that, wait a minute, we yeah. put a weight in the wrong place. Right. I've seen them, they'll, they'll keep adding weight until the machine finally decides that it's the wheel is balanced and there's they're balanced weights across from each other. Right. And technically, to be balanced properly, a wheel will need one weight on either side of the wheel, one on the inside, one, one on the outside. outside. Now, it is possible that it may not call for a weight. Sometimes it just doesn't require right. a weight on one side or the other. That is a rare exception. Most time, there should be one weight on each side of the wheel. Now, one weight 
you could also have two weights, but they need to touch each other. Yeah, if they're touching each other. If as long as those two weights are touching each other, it it corresponds as one weight. Right. Now, if there's a gap between them, then it's misbalanced. Right. And the reason you might have two weights, if the guy either did not have the right size weight. A lot of people only carry up to an ounce, yeah. ounce and a quarter. If this vehicle called for an ounce and a half. Right. Then he had to take two, three quarters and put together to get an ounce and a half. Right. Another time when I know I've done this is if, like on a big truck tire, where it calls for a lot of weight. Maybe it calls for four ounces of weight because it's a big old sure 3,500, whatever. Rather than put a four-ounce weight, which is likely to come off, I would rather put two two-ounce weights side by side touching each other because now i got two clips holding that, holding weight, that on. weight on. So I find they tend to stay on better, particularly on a big truck where it's maybe going through mud and all sure. that kind of stuff. You could pull off or move one weight easier than you could too. But that's going to be two weights touching each other in the same exact spot, which technically is going to count as, as one, one weight. weight. Now, what is totally wrong is let's say we've got a weight at 12 o'clock and we've got another weight at 3 o'clock. Right. Because so, what we needed was the combined amount of those two weights somewhere between the two. Correct. And like you said, if you put the weight in the wrong spot and you spin it again, it's going to come up and ask for more weight in a different spot. That doesn't mean you need more weight in a different spot. No. That it means, means something's to, wrong. That Stop and figure out what's wrong. Right. A qualified technician knows, hey, wait, we need to stop. Something's wrong here. Instead of just keep adding more weight to it till it. Either zero. the wheel is not centered up on the machine, the cone is not holding the wheel tight enough, you put the wrong weight, you did not put the weight in the right position. I mean, maybe there is a liquid inside this tire. It we, could be somebody's put fixed flat in the tire. It could be they went to some place that doesn't drain their compressors and they got water in the tire. Right. And at a certain RPM, certain revolution, that water is going to stick. Right. And when it sticks, that is a weight. Right. And it's going to come up off. Yeah, well, what will happen, at, let's say you're spinning this wheel 35, 40 miles an hour, that water may sit in the bottom of the tire and the tire goes round because it can actually flow to the point it just stays in one point. That will not affect the balance of the wheel. But when you spin a little bit more, the centrifugal force takes this water and starts to go around with the tire. Mm-hmm. That will drastically affect. Sure it will. Yeah, water weighs about 8 pounds per, per gallon. gallon. Yeah. So a couple ounces in a wheel will throw it way off. Way, way, way off. When we're and talking about balancing a wheel, we're talking less than two ounces. Well, and the thing is, sometimes. if you got a quarter ounce, this weight is all the way at the very outer extreme of the tire. Uh-huh. It's going to have a lot more effect than one on the edge of the rim because as you move further out from center, the force is amplified. Correct. You know, because you're moving further out. So a quarter ounce at the edge of the tire is going to affect you a lot more than a quarter ounce at the wheel. Mm-hmm. It may have a half ounce of force difference. And a quarter ounce can cause a vibration. Sure. A half ounce can definitely cause a vibration. We, we see that a lot. Yeah. and Very and often. Again, you would think that would be one of those things where. Think it would be simple to do. It, it would be very, very simple. Everybody would do it. Everybody would do it right. But we're still seeing it done incorrectly today. Yeah, all the time. Now, even if you do have the wheel perfectly balanced, you also have to have a tire that is mounted correctly on the rim and there's a tire a perfect brand new high quality tire if you don't lubricate the rim and the tire correct when it expands out it's going to pinch it's going to dig in and it's not going to go out fully and it's going to twist that tire yep so now you've got an out around tire now you 
can balance an out-around tire. Right, but it's like balancing a brick. Yeah, you can balance a block. You can balance a Coke machine. It's just not going to roll down the road straight. Exactly. So Smoothly. we got to be balanced. we got to be round. got to be mounted on the rim properly. See, another big problem, when they mount these tires brand new, if they don't lubricate it properly, and when I say properly, I don't mean with water, because water is not going to lubricate a tire. No, it's not. A car can stop from 80 miles an hour on a wet road real fast. That rubber, the water is not going to lubricate it. Mm-hmm. There's a chemical called tire lubricant. And what tire lube does, it does lubricate the thing. But more to the point, as soon as the tire gets into position, it starts to evaporate. So it doesn't sit there and continue to lubricate the tire. Because we have seen cases where somebody want to buy the proper tire lubricant and use soap or whatever. Right. That may stay soapy and wet in there, and the tire may slip. On the rim. On the rim after it's been balanced. Sure. Now, if it turns on that rim, it's no longer balanced. Correct. So you start to pick up a vibration. Hey, take our last quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Mike, I'm thinking about boiling some shrimp. You know where I can get a good price? Oh, yeah. I got a shrimp guy, but there's a catch. His name is Remy Labateau, and you have to go down to Lafouche Parish and meet him after midnight. Okay. He'll be behind the dumpster of an abandoned fireworks standoff Louisiana one, and you have to buy exactly 50.3 pounds. Well, that's oddly specific. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, look no further than the team at Agco Automotive. No hassles, just straight up quality maintenance and repairs. And with Agco's general inspection, they can perform an annual checkup to find any problems and schedule maintenance to keep your car running right, saving you money in the long run. So what kind of seasoning do you use? Oh, I got a seasoning guy, too. How do you feel about traveling to Bangkok? Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Louis Alzan, president of Agco Automotive. Got Mr. Brian Terry, our general manager, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. Still got a few minutes left. That we do. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity for a live answer this morning, you can always get your questions answered on our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it on in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. We were talking about tires slipping on wheels. Uh-huh. And I remember way, way back when I used to race cars and – we had drag slicks on the back of the car, and drag slicks really do not hold air very well. Uh-huh. They generally had an inner tube inside of them. They weren't designed. They were designed to have a lot of traction and be real wide, but we would always have an inner tube inside of them. And, in fact, I was at State Capitol Raceway and did a burnout, and all of a sudden felt the car drop in the back. Right. And what happened, that tire slipped on that rim Sheared the valve stem off. Yep. <laughs> and there I was. <laughs> so I took and put sheet metal screws. Right. Drilled holes all around the edge of the rim, put sheet metal screws in it to hold it in place. And that worked real well for a couple of years. Eventually, we got to making more horsepower. Did a hard burnout one time and sheared the heads off the screws. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right back in the same position again. So, yep. Yeah, those tires will slip on the rim. They will. So and same thing when you balance them and you lubricate them with the wrong type of lubricant. Let's go back to our phone. I was Ron. Good morning, Ron. Hey, good morning. Yes, sir. I got a I got a transmission question. Okay. 
I have a 2010 GMC Terrain, mm-hmm. a V6, uh-huh. and 11 years old, and 25,000 miles. And uh, my question is, flushing the transmission and leaving it be, I- I'm getting old. I know that, that the filter is not serviceable, so I'm in a little bit of a dilemma wondering if I should just leave it alone or uh, what should I do? Well, you don't ever want to flush. In fact, if you want more information on that, go on my site and just type in the word proper transmission service, and it'll tell you all about that. But I would definitely be doing a a service on it. Right. That unit doesn't have a filter on the outside that can be serviced. What it has is a what we call a double draining fill. It does have a filter, but it's an internal. And to get to that filter, you'd have to take the transmission out take it apart right so, it's, so not it's not really feasible to do it that way but a double drain and fill will probably get 75 percent of the fluid out of it and exchanged out for you and what we what we do is we'll take and drain that fluid out put the plug back in it refill the unit and then go drive it again drive it get it good and hot come back and do that service immediately again. do it again right and what that does is that lets that fluid, as that fluid comes back down the trans and goes back into the reservoir at the bottom, it grabs some of that trash, takes it out when you dra- take the yeah, drain plug it, out. It kind of washes the filter out because all the fluid is up circulating in the transmission. The filter's at the very bottom of it. So if you put clean fluid in there, go drive it, turn it off, and immediately drain it. When it comes back through that screen, it's going to tend to wash a lot of that back out. So mm-hmm. not as good as changing the filter would be, but it's the best you can do. Now, the big thing to remember is because you cannot change this filter, the last thing in the world you want is for it to restrict. Because if it does, there's going to be a new transmission be got. So I would be servicing that thing, and you got extremely low miles on it, but I would be yeah. servicing that very, very often, certainly right now. I wouldn't go any further with it. Okay, and you say, and how long of a job is this? About an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Oh, okay, it's not that long. No, okay. it's not. A... Well, we'll be in touch Monday. Okay, sounds great. Yeah. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks, right, thank thank man. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. You're only part of the automotive. Power. We'd love to have you. Yeah, we were talking about tires slipping on rims. A lot of the manufacturers have actually come out with what they call a technical service bulletin mm-hmm. on that exact subject. Mm-hmm. Vibration after Charlie Mountain tires, and it talks about using the correct lubricant right. to, to properly mount the tire to the wheel. Now, once you get the tire mounted to the wheel properly, you've got it on the balancer, you're sure it's mounted to the balancer correctly. You get it balanced. The machine zeroes out. Now it's time to put it back on the vehicle. There are some things there that can cause an imbalance. Any little bit of rust on the hub where the wheel actually bolts to the hub of the car right. will throw the wheel off and it'll throw the balance off. Pick up a vibration that way. Improper torquing the wheel to the hub. I've seen people run the one lug nut up tight and then run the next one up tight and what it does is it actually warps the it cock it, yeah. Yeah, it kind of warps the wheel well, on it can the hub. warp the rotors under certain under conditions. It can warp the hub and the rotors bolt to the hub. So, so therefore, the tire does not run true down the road. Mm-hmm. It has to be tightened down in a star-type pattern if you've got five lug nuts or six lug nuts. And a cross, crisscross pattern if you've got four, four lug, lug nuts, nuts, which most of the newer ones, I think, have more. I don't think you see four lug nuts very many four, four is kind of on the smaller cars, like the Corollas, yeah. the, the smaller Hondas, things like that. Yeah, almost uh, everything's coming out with five now. Five, well, most, most everything is six. Yeah. Most yeah, everything is bigger six. Vehicles, yeah. Sure. Uh, Toyota still runs a five lug on some of the Tundra models. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the three-quarter tons go up to eight lugs. But if you started out at, say, 12 o'clock, then it was five lug. Then you would drop down to, say, the five o'clock position. Correct. Then you might go up 
to say the nine o'clock position, then go across to the two o'clock position and then back down to the seven o'clock position. Right. Technically you're making a star. Forming a star. And that and what you don't want to do, let's say the torque on this wheel is hundred and twenty foot pounds. You don't want to run the first one down to 120 foot pounds. No. Instead you want to run the first one down to about thirty or forty and then go ahead and make your whole star, then go back, go to sixty, and then go back to hundred. Correct. Do it in maybe three steps. And that more evenly allows that wheel to flatten out against the hub. These hubs nowadays are very, very, very thin. They are. They're not near the hub they used to be, and they don't take kindly to improper torquing. Right. Yes. (laughs) Right. And so many of them now with your front-wheel drive and four-wheel drive vehicles, not only is the hub small and light, but it's got a big hole through the center where the axle goes through. Mm -hmm. So I remember back Ford Escorts when they first came out, they had a very, very light-duty hub on them. And if you crank down those lug nuts too much or the wrong way, Later on down the road, you get a busted CV cover. You are not going to get that axle out of that hub because it had warped the hub to the point that the axle would no longer come out. Right. You could take the whole axle out, take the whole knuckle off, put it in a press, put 20 tons on You weren't going to push it out of there. So at that point, you're into a new axle, a whole new replacement axle, a new hub, new a new bearing. bearing, and in some cases, a new knuckle. Right. So you got into a very, very, very expensive situation by something so simple, which is what we kind of started out talking about, how simple, simple things can Tend go wrong. overlooked. Yeah, yep. go wrong and, and, and cause you major, major problems down the road. That was one of those things. And I know people who have never talked a wheel down in their life. Right. And God bless you. I hope it works out for you. Yep. But have gotten by so far. You've gotten by so far. But we talk every single lug nut down every single time. And it does add an additional step or two because you do have to torque them down in a diagonal pattern. You can't run them down with an impact wrench, which means you would have to drop the car to the floor to hold the wheel in place if you use a torque wrench. Correct. They also make what they call a torque stick, which is a tuned. It looks like an extension. It looks extension. like a, a half-inch drive extension, but it's tuned. Well, it will only torque so many foot-pounds. Right. When it gets to the proper amount of torque, it starts to flex. And when it starts to flex, it absorbs that impact from the impact wrench. Uh-huh. Now, this offers a huge advantage in a shop because if you have to tighten the wheels, lugs down, not too tight, drop the car down on the ground, and then come back and retalk them, you put three steps in there. Right. That's very easy to get distracted, yes. which means now a car goes out with loose lug nuts, which is probably one of the worst things that oh, can yeah. happen. Most definitely. So it cuts steps out of the process ensures more likely you're not going to get a car going out with loose lug nuts on it mm-hmm. and does a really good job i know when they first came out i didn't trust them 100 percent, so i used to go behind them and check them with a right. torque wrench right and so long as they're used properly well and they're going to read right you've got to you've got to take into consideration how big the impact is behind it and how much air pressure it's right because it will change the tune on that correct stick so you've got to take all that into consideration when you're using those. Right. So if you got a compressor at home, you need to have some type of regulated air source on it. Correct. I know at the shop we've got to regulate it to a certain pressure because those compressors just kick out more and more and more oh, yeah. pressure. But that's going to change the torque on the thing. Another thing that changes, if you put wrap your hand around that torque stick. Correct. You're absorbing. You are absorbing some of that impact. So you may end up with it kicking out at a lower tension than it should. Right. So what you want to do is put the torque stick on, put the imp- hold the impact, and let it do its job. Let it flex. You wrap your hand around it, you change the mass of this torque stick. Right. So it changes the torque on it the lug nut. It changes the applied torque mm-hmm. in the end. So 
There's so many ways you could go wrong with such a simple tool. It really, really is. <laughs> Something as simple as just tightening the wheels down a car. We yeah. just named probably five or six things that could be wrong, and it's probably another ten, probably so beyond that. So. Yeah, almost if, if something seems really simple, you just don't know enough about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll go ahead and get on out of here. Tell everybody I always appreciate them listening this morning, every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week, every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written view, and fill it out for That's us. That's right. It'll move us up in the rankings so more people can get to listen, and we keep on doing the show. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.